Coming up on today's show... I'm still in disbelief that I, I got into that category with those people. So it's because um, it's, it's a commercial category and you know, Bonnie Raitt and Brandy Carlisle and everything. So, and of course, the other really cool artists. Welcome to another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, featuring interviews with guests who are having success in entertainment, primarily music. I am Bruce Wozniak, talking to guests who are singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, and more from the worldwide music community. Be sure you are on the list for the weekly e-newsletter. I only send out on Wednesday when a new episode of this show comes out, so make sure you are signed up to receive that for free to your inbox. If you're not already getting it, go to my podcast website, nhte.net, and pop your email address into the sign-up box. I do publish exclusives in there from time to time, so don't miss out. I love hearing from listeners of this show. You can write to podcast at nhte.net, or instead of email, you are welcome to DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from near Denver, Colorado, my guest is a two-time Grammy-nominated classically trained musician and composer. Also a singer, songwriter, and producer, he has had two hit songs on the adult contemporary charts and a hit on the Billboard Indicator chart. He has done work for brands ranging from NBC to MTV to the History Channel, the NBA, CBS, Nike, Pepsi, the Discovery Channel, and more. He has also worked with William Shatner, John Malkovich, David Lynch, and others. Plus, he has collaborated with and created content for the likes of Depeche Mode, Yoko Ono, Sean Lennon, Duran Duran, and many more. He is even a music industry contributor to Recording Magazine. You've been hearing a song of his called Mediterranean Sun. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Eric Alexandrakis. Greetings, Bruce and listeners. Hello, Eric. It's really great to have you on the show. I'm looking forward to this. Let's start first, though, by having you share with the audience about the song of yours that was just playing called Mediterranean Sun, which, by the way, has a couple notable players on it. Yeah, I wrote that uh, moseying around on the beach in, in Crete, thinking about my childhood and summers in Crete and all the lovely things that uh, come with that that location and those times and all that. And um, yeah, playing bass on it is John Taylor from Duran Duran, who actually is the one who discovered me. And then on drums, is Steve Ferroni from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, who's also played with Michael Jackson and Aretha Franklin and the Bee Gees and pretty much everybody. And it's just it just captures the energy and the excitement of getting to that place and being there. So as a songwriter, you're forced to put on your creative hat, I imagine, when you think back to something from your childhood, because as kids, our thoughts are not that mature. They're not anything that people are going to want to write a song about. So can you talk about the creative process of looking back to being young and making something, quote-unquote, adult out of it? Yeah, it's it's. Um, I actually wrote that when I was in my... Well, I was probably in my early 30s when I wrote that, so... I, I really like happy music, 
Um, I, I like songs about summer cars and girls and, you know, the whole kind of simplicity of it. But I also like really complicated music. I listen to a lot of classical and I like Yes and progressive rock and things like that. So it's just one of those things where a memory or a feeling comes in your head or something just kind of reminds I, I remember I was on the beach and I was like, ah, I love the summertime. And then I'm like, oh. And then it just you know, I dwelled on that theme and then the rest came really easy. Yeah. And of course, there's also something to be said for, you know, keep it simple, stupid, but also I need to create visuals for people so that they're going to see what I'm thinking of as I'm writing this song. So in that case, it sounds like it's very easy because you were inspired by simply looking out and seeing this beautiful canvas that you were sitting in front of and saying, my gosh, I can paint a musical picture with this I imagine that song came very quickly. Yeah, it's funny you mention that because I always think visually with writing. I, I always say I, I feel like a, a musician caught in a film director's body, and Malkovich would tell me, well, I feel like a uh, musician caught in an actor director's body. I'm like, oh, no, why don't we get along so well? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm always thinking visually. So everything I do has to be kind of an art school vibe. Mm. Um, and, uh, just, you know, it could be a lo-fi sound or image or Polaroid or something. It's, I just find it, it makes it more interesting and fun for me personally. Uh, so yeah, it was pretty easy to come up with those uh, bits and pieces on the spot. For anyone listening who is a young songwriter, I feel like there's a potential teaching moment here because I know there was a songwriter friend of mine in Nashville who would talk about visual furniture. And the fact being that when you're writing about emotions, it's more of a challenge because you need something that people can actually visualize in their head. So Eric, can you just talk about that process of this emotion of, happy memories and the way that it made you feel, but still doing it in a way, like you just said, visually that people can picture something as they're listening to the song. Yeah. I don't really take into account what the listener thinks or, or we'll get out of it. I generally hmm. don't care. Interesting. <laughs> but for me, it's yeah, for me, it's just about satisfying myself and uh, there's some humor I like to put in there. Like, you know, there's a lyric in there about grabbing some girl's, suitcase that looked like mine and and then you know asking her out for a drink and then she freaks out and thinks you're a stalker or something and then it's like calm down you know so that's that's part of the lyrics i like to inject a little a little humor in there but you know it has to satisfy me if it doesn't satisfy me i don't do it i really don't care what because you know what what from the, the the listener's viewpoint is if people enjoy it, that's great. But I never, I never, unless somebody hires me for something and it's like a ad campaign thing, sure. then I have to be, I have to consider the, the demographics sure. and, you know, is it a young demographic or an older one? Then, you know, you, you're being paid to do that. But for my own stuff, I just, come up with whatever I want to come up with. Still, I like that answer, though, because whether you're considering the audience or not, if it doesn't pass the Eric test, well, then, like you said, what's the point of even writing it? Because you need to please yourself first before, even if you did want to consider, is someone else going to like it? Let's move on, because there's a photo you, you sent me, which is also your current profile picture on your YouTube channel in which you're playing the guitar. Now, the story goes, though, that you started studying classical piano at the age of just six years old. 
So when did you start playing guitar? Do you still play piano, I assume? And what other instruments do you play? Because in the lead up to today, I read something that made me think there's more than just guitar and piano. Yeah, I can pretty much play whatever somebody puts in front of me. You know, it it might take me a few more days. You know, I mean, violin, I don't play violin, but I can play a three-string bowed instrument from Greece called the lira. Mm. So it, it can't be all that different from that. But I, I've always picked up instruments very quickly. I started playing guitar probably around age 22, around there. Um, and But I, I basically play whatever is needed. So... There's no kind of limit to what I, I I reach for. I mean, I play drums, I play mandolin, I play you know, all kinds of things. Wow. So whatever is needed, I just kind of do it. Wow. So then classical piano at the age of six, we just heard guitar at 22. What about songwriting? When did you start into songwriting? What led you to songwriting as opposed to, say, sticking with being solely an instrumentalist? Uh, you know, I think it's just the way you're wired. It's in you. You know, I, I, I don't think you can. It's funny when I see uh, people taking classes in songwriting, you really, you really, you can learn a formula, but you really can't learn that craft. It's, it's something that you're wired for. It's in you. Mm. And then you sort of gravitated. I mean, I used to fiddle making my own tunes up when I was in uh, I don't know, 10 years old, things like that. And wow. then my music teacher at school saw like some notes written down in a, in a, in a case I brought of my Cretan liar to show to class. And she's like, what's this? I'm like, ah, it's just something I wrote. And she, you know, they wanted to do it in the school uh, <laughs> assembly. And, but I wrote my first real structured pop tune when I was, it was like a few days after my 18th birthday mm -hmm. and I'd written it to give it to somebody, uh, a girl. And then I chickened out or she disappeared or <laughs> we had a falling out. I don't remember exactly. And then, it, and then I lost it for like 28 years. And then I, I actually found it a few years ago. I'm mm. like, it's really cool. It sounds like the cars and Blondie, you know, uh, the, the era that's, wow. that's my era. And it, it sparked a whole new album concept. Mm. which I'm working on now, which is like an ode to my childhood, you know, which it sounds very kind of 80s. Sounding. So cool. So, yeah, that was that was a fun thing to stumble across. So then hearing about all those instruments that you play, when you do songwrite, is it always on guitar? Is it always on piano? Is it 50-50? Is it 70-30? What does that look like? It could be just a melody, and then I put down, I play the melody on a piano or a guitar just to kind of flush it out. Or it could be on a guitar, it could be on piano, it could be just a beat. It just, it comes, it can come from anywhere. I tend to like having a lyrical idea first, and then that always sparks a chord progression. Whereas you can only play so many chords in succession. Uh, I mean, you know, there's infinite combinations, of course, but I find that if I start with a chord progression, it's like the same chord progression from something else. Mm. So I tend to get melodies, melodic ideas and chord progressions. They come to me very, a, a lot faster when I have a lyrical hook or something. I mean, I was listening to uh, the first Cutting Crew album 
two years ago, I was, I was walking and listening to it. And then one of the lyrics, the singer said something about unfinished business. I'm like, oh, that sounds like a cool, like, 80s tune or <laughs> pop tune or something. And then just from that, I, I started in my head singing a hook. Mm. Um, and then the whole song came together when I got home, and that was really quick. So I like that. I like that approach, but sometimes it's a chord, you know, or a chord progression, or I hear something or a little lick or something. So, yeah. And I like that answer because when I asked you, do you write on piano? Do you write on guitar? What's the percentage? It made me think of when you started to talk about songwriting and you stopped just short of what I thought you were going to say, which was, look, you either have it in you or you don't. And so when you go to songwriting classes, it's kind of like saying, Gosh, Bruce, if you're asking me, do I sit down and force myself? I have to write a song on the guitar. I have to write a song on the piano. That just eliminates so much of the creative spontaneity that you're describing. Yeah, anytime I've had to be forced to write something, and I don't mean if I'm hired to do it. If I'm hired to do it, then I, you know, it takes some thought and some days. And but if I'm I, anytime I force something, it's just garbage. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I firmly believe that anyone who's really good and perseveres uh things align at some point it could take a month it could take a year it could take 10 years it could take 20 years um i mean i have friends who are persevere a great deal for decades and just nothing comes together because they're they don't they don't have that kind of spark in the work that they're doing but i feel like if someone wanted to do a co-write with you, I feel like that's what you're describing. Like, don't bring me into a room and say, let's stare at each other and write a song because I feel like you're saying that's an environment of where you'd say, no, you can't just force me to do it like this. Even though we had this scheduled, I just need to be free to just kind of do it when it comes to me. Am I, am I onto something there? Yeah, I don't like to co-write. I don't like to collaborate. If, if, if it's something that I really like, then I'll feel inspired to collaborate on something. Like I, I get asked to produce stuff all the time and play on stuff all the time. Um, but I only do it. I mean, my schedule is kind of crazy. So there's that issue, but I only kind of commit to something if I'm really digging this stuff. I mean, I have um, a, a project I've been working on for years and years, which is a revolving door of people. So like I've, done uh, co-writes and collabs with Dolores Reardon. In fact, I have a whole electronic album just sitting there that we did uh, some years ago. Uh, guys from The Cure and The Smiths and Duran Duran and um, you know, stuff like that, which is cool for me where I, I tend to be a bit of a control freak, but when you're working with those guys, it's just kind of like, yeah, do whatever you want, <laughs> you know, and it's, and it, and it teaches you the new things and, uh, that's really fun. You know, otherwise if I controlled what they played, then it'd just be another solo thing. And for me, mm. it's, it's about them putting on their style, their sound and their touch to create something totally new. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. You mentioned this ever so briefly, you were born and raised in Greece. When and why did you and, or maybe your family move to America? So I, I was born in Coral Gables, actually. I was ah. I was uh, raised mostly in Coral Gables, but I also lived in Greece and I've been going ever since I was a little kid there in the UK. And 
my parents, they, uh, my father, is, they're both PhDs, my father in physics, my mother in philosophy. So my father got a job at the University of Miami uh, as a professor of physics. So that basically brought them here to the U.S. But at the same time, you were very young. You were describing about what you brought to the teacher. So you were living over there for some period of time, it sounds like. We went over there for a bit because my father was starting the University of Crete. So I did first grade over there in Crete. And uh, that that's episode with the teacher, seeing my notations, I think it was like fifth or sixth grade. Think around there, but I would always come up with little melodies, and I would always make music out of like toys and stuff. <laughs> yeah, so it was always that driving force. It can be a bit of a curse, you know, because I mean I'm the type of person who's overly creative. I can't turn it off. I mm. hear theme songs on TV, and I'm rearranging them in my head. <laughs> you know, and it can, and it can be quite exhausting. <laughs> uh, but so it. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things. There's different degrees of that, and I, I tend to be on the uh, highest of echelons, it seems, not being able to turn it off. Your music career looked like it was getting off to a good start, and then all of a sudden, just shy of 25 years old, you had a major medical occurrence. Share with the audience what I'm referring to. Yeah, I had um, Hodgkin's. I had a tumor the size of a fist in my chest, which had mm. been growing for a few years. And... Uh, I'd actually done some TV acting stuff too. I was in Dexter. I was in the Miami Vice movie back then. And I was getting that into gear as well. And uh, I had to get eight months of chemotherapy. And during those eight months, I recorded on a friend's bar of four truck recorder, an album called Ivy Catatonia. And that, that and my previous four track, album which was my first solo album called nine demos on a four track which john taylor heard and sold on his website um i combined those into my spoken word project from from 2020 which was my first grammy nominated album um it was about looking back on 20 years as a cancer survivor but yeah so it, it was uh i had all that chemo and then i had a relapse about a year later and had a stem cell transplant, was stuck in the hospital for a month. And uh, yeah, I, I'm only realizing now, in a way, how much that kind of affected me. Mm. It's, it's a strange feeling because I, I used to be very impatient. Uh, you know, everything has to be done now, now, now. And then after that, I was like, everything has to be done yesterday. Mm. So. It's, uh, and I always, I always feel like there isn't enough time. I don't know if that's because I'm just a workaholic or because of those, those events, mm. but, uh, yeah, it's an, it's an odd kind of game that plays with your brain. Yeah. You're giving me pause for reflection here because as someone that has had two open heart surgeries oh. and is also a workaholic, you're kind of making me ask the same question of myself because I agree with you that there's never enough hours in a day. So it's something that we can talk about offline, but wow, you've kind of opened my eyes up to something here. I, I do want to go back though to, you mentioned IV catatonia, tell the audience about the artwork for that album. Oh yeah. The cover is my nurse <laughs> holding a needle. That's Monique. <laughs> I still talk to her and 
uh, and then like this shadow of my hand and then some weird mask I took a photo of up close and yeah it, it seemed I'd love to do that as a vinyl you know record store day imagine that sitting in the bin people mm. be like what the hell is that <laughs> so maybe someday <laughs> excuse me someone left an yeah. x-ray in the albums here you might want to re- <laughs> yeah. Re- refile yeah there this. is it yeah, there are X-rays. Uh, my X-rays are in the artwork in the in the uh, the sleeve inside. <laughs> That's that creative yeah. juice of yours. So you mentioned there was a cre- a recurrence of the cancer. What is the prognosis today as we sit here in July two thousand twenty three? Yeah, nothing so far. Twenty three years, nothing so far. So wonderful, wonderful. Looks good. Yeah. yeah that's How about outstanding. you? That's outstanding. Well. This this podcast is about the guests and it's about the audience gaining from it, so we don't need to bore them with with my chart. Let's leave it. <laughs> let's leave it that way. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I am joined today on the Now Here This Entertainment guest line from near Denver, Colorado, by musician, composer, singer, songwriter, multi instrumentalist, and producer Eric Alexandrakis. Visit his official website at ericalexandrakis.com. I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. Wow, lots to see when you land there. Check out the extensive music catalog, as well as a number of videos there. Eric is active on social media with links on his website to go connect with him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Plus, do check out his official YouTube channel as well. Of course, you can purchase downloads of his original music from the likes of Apple Music and other online digital music retailers. And yes, his music is on Spotify as well, so do give him a follow on there. Gosh, folks, I sure hope after all these years of me doing this show and hopefully you reading the weekly e-newsletter that you know that I am a publicist. If you read the blog I post every Monday, I always have something at the end offering to get on a call if I can help you in your creator career what with my close to 20 years of experience helping indie music artists, authors, entrepreneurs, an actress, a filmmaker, some podcasters, small business owners. And I always link that to an article that tells you about the OWL app through which you can call me, not to mention other experts. That app is free to download. And I have talked to people on there either just for a one-time chat to provide some help or sure, potentially towards becoming a client. The point here is they're not paying me to talk about them. They're not a sponsor. It's just a really powerful tool you can use to make really good connections with people that will help you with your career in all likelihood, whatever industry you're in, by the way. On my podcast website, nhte.net, tap or click anywhere that says home and then read the article whose headline is Help Now a Phone um, App Call Away. That will even give you links to download OWL from the App Store or Google Play. Plus, it has my invitation code because that is a required field when you set it up on your phone. Call me on there and let's chat. Eric, we've got a lot more to cover still, but come on, let's hear all about this past February and having been at the Grammys where you were a nominee for Best Americana Performance. We're going to play that song at the end of this episode, but for now, just talk about that whole experience getting your second Grammy nomination, and like I said, being at the ceremony earlier this year? I'm still in disbelief that I I got into that category with those people. So it's because um, it's, it's a commercial category and, you know, Bonnie Raitt and Brandi Carlisle and everything. So, and of course, the other really cool artists. 
Yeah, it's still, I still haven't fully contemplated it. I mean, I've been in the music business, it'll be 30 years starting next year. Hmm. So I've, I've been to a lot of events with a lot of high profile people and, you know, collaborations, et cetera. And, you know, you get to a point where it, it very rarely do these types of things uh, thrill you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to a certain degree. But this was really cool because it was about music and songwriting and singing and and then to be put next to those individuals was really quite a thrill. I mean, the the uh, the whole week was really exhausting. The, there were a few uh, issues here and there that made it very difficult to enjoy. Hmm. Uh, but I I got to see a lot of friends and went to some good events. ASCAP had a good event. Uh, a bunch of other things and so it was good you know it was, it was fun it, the, the 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 fun part for me is you know seeing my son's the look on his face and him being able to really participate and walk the red carpet and you know hang out with public enemy and you know all that <laughs> stuff so that's really the the rest is is you know part of the job and you have to be there and be seen and um, it's not particularly, uh, enjoyable because you really have to look at it as, as a job. But the, you know, I, again, I got to see a lot of friends and that was the best part. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm not big on these types of events, to be honest. Um, it's, uh, it's a bit of a you know pain in the butt, especially I had my parents coming in from Miami and there was like a ticketing issue and mm. like they were like stuck in places and I was doing interviews on the red carpet and mm. different things. But you know they Naris did a good job of of handling the the kerfuffles. <laughs> Got to give them credit. <laughs> and there's always going to be little issues here and there with kind of new systems and new different things. So you know these are first world problems here. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean. How old is your son that, that he was able to kind of get, I'm holding up air quotes, he was able to get what was going on? Oh, he's 16. He he got ah. to go on the red carpet last time ah. as well. Okay. So, uh, you know, seeing him enjoy the process is good. But, you know, I mean, for me, this is my day-to-day, so I'm there to work, yeah. network and all yeah. that. I'm not really there to have fun. Yeah. Whereas, you know, the the good thing is one of the saving grace was you know, after hours, a bunch of us, uh, friends of mine, kind of in a circle, we were staying at the same hotel and we'd hang out and have a laugh. And that was really the good, the good part of it. But, you know, um, it's, it's all business. Yeah. You have to keep it all business to really make it work. And by the way, I do by all means want to make sure that the audience gets to hear about the first Grammy nomination, which was in a completely different category and the story behind that project, especially since you shared with us earlier about your cancer battles. Yeah, that was really, you know, the first time of anything is really the most thrilling. So that was, you know, to be on there with Michelle Obama and then Greece went completely nuts. They had me on every, every television network doing interviews uh, for like weeks, mm. you know, and that was really nice to have that, 
appreciation from over there. And you know, it's like I became Greek Elvis overnight. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that was, that was a real thrill. Uh, and my parents came and my brothers came to that as well. And it was great. You know, it was, it was about, uh, a kind of an audio book of sorts, but it had two hours of music and it was about re- my reflections on 20 years as a two time cancer survivor. And, uh, it just, struck a nerve and it uh, got nominated. So that was cool. I, 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 it was important to me to make, to put a lot of music in it. Cause I didn't want it to be just about the story mm. being a musician, you know, then it, it doesn't really, you know, it, it does help people and it's helped. I've sent it to like hundreds of people who are suffering from cancer for free to, mm. to find some potential solace or, positive something in it because there's a lot of humor in it um but yeah it was important to have music in there being a musician just to kind of put it all into perspective but yeah it was it was a great great time and this was a great time too you know it's just there were some little logistical issues that really made it difficult yeah and i want to make sure the audience understands that the first grammy nomination was for the best spoken word album category and that was Ivy Catatonia, 20 years as a two-time cancer survivor. And so when you heard Eric mention someone like Michelle Obama, if you're scratching your head and saying, wait, I, this is the Grammys, what are we talking about? It was spoken word as the category. And Eric, am I understanding this, that when you went through your cancer battle, that you had no health insurance and you were unemployed? Yeah, I'd just gotten off my parents' insurance. Oh, my gosh. And... Uh, yeah, there was, um, and my parents had just paid off their 30 year mortgage mm. and they were like, oh, gee, I guess we got to sell the house. But then my, my father was, uh, a, one of the advisors of the president over at EOM and he, he stepped in and said, you're not going to sell your house. You know, we're going to take care of this, wow. you know, which is, which is really cool. And, you know, you can't help but think of all the other people who don't have that. Mm. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> you know, it was uh, it was a necessary thing, and there was no other way. And so, outstanding. Yeah, that was quite an event. Outstanding. Yeah. I'm thinking that you spend most of your time doing corporate projects and or creative initiatives under something you have called electrons. Is that in fact the case in terms of what you're probably working on most quote unquote regularly? And for that matter, explain what electrons is. No, electrons is just that it's that collab I was telling you about before with like guys from the cure and the Smiths and various people like each song has a different lineup. And Mm -hmm. I've been working on that for years and years and there's a lot sitting on the shelf, but I spent most of my time, uh, it's most of my time working on my own stuff, but also music supervision for, for, you know, advertising mostly where say like Kate Spade hires my company to clear the right for, uh, some songs and ad that they want to put out. And cause I have a master's in music business, so I understand all that side of that stuff. So music supervision, I do a lot of also consults for uh, licensing 
but mostly production and writing on my own things and for other people and that sort of thing. On a related note, when I was giving out all your online destinations, I did not pass along anything to the audience relative to live performances. How often do you or don't you go out and perform live? Under what circumstances would you be doing a live show somewhere? I haven't played live in a really long time, and I've been itching and itching and itching to do a tour. Mm. But uh, having a kid, I promised myself that I would not sacrifice time uh, for that for my career. So which makes it 10 times harder <laughs> to do what I do, <laughs> you know, to find an eight hour block to just come up with an idea. Cause sometimes it can take that long. So, um, you know, cause I'm very, I'm always been very involved with like the, the homework and the studying and the, you know, all that stuff, uh. you know, they only, they only come around once. And I have way too many famous friends whose kids are utterly bonkers and hate them and resent them. And just, mm. because they were always away and, I can't, I can't go that route. So I, I make it work so that I can be present. Um, but you know, I, I do go away for the occasional few days and whatnot, but to, to do a proper tour, you need to be gone for a good month at least to start and, and build an audience, you know, you could do a few weeks at a time, of course, but, uh, you know, I don't like doing things willy nilly. So it would have to be pretty extensive. So, yeah, it's been a long time, and it's the one component I've always felt is missing mostly. But I'll get back into it. Maybe when he goes to college, I'll be a bit more hardcore with it. Well, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but did you not say very early on at the beginning of this interview that, that you're working on a new record? I literally have four finished and about six, that are demoed six albums that are demoed and yeah i i tend to have too many things going on at once because <laughs> i just you know i might have this thing and like oh okay well this is coming up i can align with that thing that's coming up mm-hmm. so i'll work on this or you know what so and so won't be available to collab on this until later i'll put that aside and work on this because this you know this will fit this season so I tend to bounce around a lot and not the best way to do things. I, I like to sit down and focus on one thing and get it done. But the reality is with the way things flow, you can't, you, you, it, it doesn't work like that, you know? So there's, there's multiple albums <laughs> in the works. There's multiple albums finished and all kinds of collabs and things in the works as well. Well, but, where I was going with that was under the umbrella of live shows. You strike me as someone that you're going to put the music out when it's done and when it's ready, and you're not going to worry about, but I can't follow the proper formula of going out to tour to support it. You're just going to do it and put it out there and not worry about following what everybody is supposed to do when they have a new release. You're going to say, great, the planets have aligned, it's ready, and there you go. It's out there. Right. Yeah, I mean, my my whole thing with with releasing music is that it all has to be used for potential licensing. Mm. 
So, um, because that's where there's a proper payout for, for music. I mean, you, you know, streaming is ridiculous. You know, it'll take you, what do you need? Like a million spins to make $3,000 or something. <laughs> so you, uh, you know, you have to find other ways, back ways to, to monetize and to generate money off of tunes. Uh, so since I can't really do expensive touring, that's really where I point everything to for like potential licensing. Okay. Okay. I like that because as much as I just said, you strike me as someone who is just going to kind of follow the beat of your own drum and the planets will align. There is still some strategy to it. In other words, cause like you're saying, if, if there's sync possibilities with it, great. That's kind of where you're pointing yourself. Yeah, there's always a strategy and, and I generally, you know, it's true. I don't, I don't particularly care to follow any, any format. You know, you have to be aware of the rules and the, um, the quote unquote rules and the, uh, the parameters which you can kind of operate with. But I always I kind of say I'm really in the business. I'm kind of in the Eric. Like the music business is really driven by corporations, and one artist can change the statistics on vinyl sales in one year, one release. Mm. So I tend to not operate under those realms, unless of course they come in and they they need clearance and things like that. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I mentioned his name back in the intro. You mentioned it earlier on. I have to ask, how did you come to know John Malkovich in the first place that you've done so much with him? One of my good friends introduced me to his photographic, one of his photographic collaborators, Sandro Miller, who's like one of the top commercial directors, photographers in the world. He's out of Chicago. Because I had this idea about him, uh, John reciting Plato's allegory of the cave of some like weird kind of ambient music. And he liked the idea. And then we all collaborated on a few films and a few vinyls and a bunch of projects and traveled together to a lot of things. And, you know, so it just blossoms and he's great. He's so both of them are great. They're both so brilliant. John is like the most, dude you know he's usually with a list you have to go through like four agents and but like you know <laughs> we uh, contact directly stay in contact directly we travel together we you know, eat together we were, we did record signings in london and chicago and la and get where else and we did appearances at david lynch's festival of disruption and a lot of really interesting things we shortlisted a con with one of the Films that we did, which actually was concept was my idea, for it as well. So he's awesome. He's a great pleasure and really fun and really smart and very well read and super creative. Yeah, I was going to say you had alluded to this earlier on. As close as the two of you have gotten, I imagine that it is still absolutely a learning experience for you in doing the various projects with him that the two of you have done. It's a masterclass. And everything with 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 Sandro and with John, mm. and it um, it's uh, like like I don't know if you've seen the photographic series they did, where 
John Sandra photographed him. They recreated photographs of like Einstein and Orson Welles and Marilyn Monroe and all these people. And I was there when those were done, and it was just such an education in light and and um, acting, and then see, you know watching him do the roles for the short films. You know, it, it was it was it was a, it was an absolute masterclass. It was mm. incredible. I love that description. I have referred to you calling in from we'll call it the Greater Denver area. Is that home for you? Or are you just there now? And for that matter, do you get back to Greece? And and if so, how often would that be? Just to visit? Do you do business in Greece? It's a long way from where you are, at least today in Colorado. Yeah, I'm in Greece every year. Uh, for a period of time and I just kind of work from there and uh, so I'll, by the time this airs I'll be there but you know I, I, I'm in LA a lot and I go back home to Miami yeah I spend a lot of time in Colorado so it's uh, a nice blend of atmospheres before we wrap this up, I do want to acknowledge and thank Frankie Love, the guest from episode 356, who connected Eric and I. Frankie! And I've been seeing her on Instagram a lot lately, folks, as launching a crowdfunding campaign. In fact, I will put a link on the show page for this episode on my podcast website to episode 356, so you can go back and listen to my interview with her and then use the links to go and check out what she's up to. Eric, the longer and longer we're all in the music world, it just gets smaller and smaller. But still, I'm curious, though, as to how you and Frankie came to know each other. She's an heiress member in the circle of us. There's a big circle of us. We all stay in touch, and she's put out stuff. I put out stuff, and we've listened to it, and I've listened to hers, and she's listened to mine. So we just kind of became friends over the years through that circle. Yeah, and I guess the I guess the geographic commonality helps as well. Yeah, yeah, always. You know, although in this day and age, it you know, as long as you have email, it doesn't matter where you are. <laughs> true, true. We're going to close today with the song that Eric talked earlier about the Grammy nomination for a track called "Silver Moon." Eric, before I let you go and I play that song, share with the audience first all about this one, if you would, please. Yeah, Michael Nesmith, who was a member of the Monkees, he passed away in December of 2021, and the Monkees have always been a big influence upon me, and especially Mike's songwriting, and I was uh, a bit distraught, more than a bit distraught when he passed away, and I've been wanting to do this cover for a long time, but, you know, life gets in the way and you procrastinate and whatnot. So I think the next day he passed away, or maybe the day after that, I just sat down and recorded the tune and did it on a 16-track and first takes and had no intention of promoting it and put it out, and it just took on a life of its own, and next thing I knew, it was nominated. So it was, uh, you know, it was a lot of work getting it out there to show it to people once I decided to submit it. Um, but it, it, there was no plan from the beginning to, for any of that to happen. It was just kind of like a crazy idea suddenly because people were reacting to it. And I was like, Oh, maybe we just send this in. And there it is. Is that a case of that was a one-time only thing? Or do you envision yourself maybe doing more 
mic or monkeys or anything? Or, or like I said, was that just kind of a standalone? It was a nice tribute and I've got other projects in the works that I'm not just going to keep going back to that. Yeah, it was just uh, meant to be a fan tribute, you know, and Mickey Dolan's has been really nice about it and has complimented it. He's, uh, I've been in contact with him. Hmm, and, nice. Uh, yeah, it was just a total whim. It was a total whim of a tune done in a day. Yeah, and I guess that's a great example. And, and the latest example on this show, as we've heard other guests say before, about songs that you don't really have these grand plans for. It's not a song that you write and you say, this one's going to be a hit. It's a song that all of a sudden gets some legs about it, and you sit back and say, this is great because I didn't really have any designs on seeing it go all the way to Grammy nomination, not to mention the other success that it's had. So I think you've kind of exemplified that. Anyhow, Eric, it was so wonderful having you on the show. Thank you so much for making time to be on Now Hear This Entertainment. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. And with that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to musician, composer, singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and producer, Eric Alexandrakis. Do visit his official website at ericalexandrakis.com. Again, I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. As I mentioned earlier, do look for his extensive back catalog. You will see the wide selection on his website, and I encourage you to purchase downloads of his music from the likes of Apple Music and other online digital music retailers. I have followed Eric on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and I'm sure he would appreciate you doing the same. As I said before, look for his official YouTube channel as well. For that matter, tell Eric you heard him and his music on Now Hear This Entertainment. I do truly hope that you like this show, that you're enjoying what I'm doing every week on the Now Hear This Entertainment podcast. If you've made it all the way to the end, thank you for having stuck with Eric and I, and I'm going to assume that that means that you do like the podcast. You can take action to let me know that you appreciate the work that I do to keep making this show happen every week, every month, more than nine years without missing once by going on my podcast website, nhte.net, and then using the yellow Buy Me a Coffee logo that you'll see there. This is not a sponsor. It's not affiliated with any brand or chain. It's just a fun way for you to send your support, your thanks to me, including a note that I will see when you utilize that option. You can also just head directly to buymeacoffee.com slash Bruce W. That's going to do it for episode 492. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with another song from Eric Alexandrakis. This is the one he just talked about. It's called Silver Moon. See the lazy
unexpected destination of my home Half the thoughts I'm thinking speak in sighs As that same old wave of loneliness returns And I can see you Destination of my